just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I got to sit down with Anu Dravid to talk all about her journey of being diagnosed with MS or multiple sclerosis back when she was just 17 years old. In this episode Anu talks us through her diagnosis. She discusses the various different MS treatments she has been on including flying to the USA to receive ocrevus infusions before it was funded here in New Zealand, what MS looks like on the day-to-day for her and how being diagnosed has inspired Inspired her passion for studying physiology and pharmacology. This episode is dedicated to the lovely Ingrid. Ingrid was the general manager of MS Auckland, was one of my biggest cheerleaders, and is who connected Anu and I together originally. She was really excited to hear Anu on the podcast and sadly passed away a week before this episode was released. I know she would have loved this interview, and I hope you do too. Welcome to That So Chronic. We connected through the Auckland MS Society. We were just chatting on Instagram. And then I loved that we had this moment where we were like, hey, we actually know each other. We connected on Facebook earlier. So I'm so excited. We've been meaning to do this interview for a while. So I'm really stoked that you could be there this morning. So thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And I I completely agree. We've actually, I feel like I've known you for years, like known off you and now I can finally put a face to it. It's really good. It's amazing. So you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, MS, when you were just 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Talk us through how that all eventuated. I'm assuming you're at school. What happened? No, so I... I dropped out at the end of year 12 okay. and I was not 100% set on going to uni or doing anything like that. I just wanted to get a job and in my head I thought, get a job, save lots of money and then go to uni when you're older. And actually the week before my diagnosis, I had been training to go join the Air Force because <gasps> okay. I lived by the Air Base and I was really keen to go into engineering or go into aeronautics and you know, who doesn't want their degree paid for, yeah. <laughs> um, which is why I was like, oh, join the forces. And so um, I used to work at Burger Fuel full time. Yep. And um, I was doing a lot of like acting manager stuff, getting a lot of like positions where I was like telling people what to do. And I had a lot of responsibility. And then over the space of about a week, and I wasn't living at my parents' house then, I was out in flooding. Mm-hmm. I started to have a few weird things come up. On the first day I went into work, I had just bought a new pair of like Nike Air Force Ones, really fresh ones. And they didn't have good grip. Okay. And I was like sliding along the ground. And I was like, why am I... S- I was like, what's going on? I didn't think twice. I was like, okay, it's your new shoes. You need yeah. to go get some grip. My manager was like, are you drunk? <gasps> At like nine o'clock in the morning. And I was like, so offended. I was like, excuse me. Like I would literally never do that. And he was like, okay, all good. I took my time. Second day I came in, I flipped a tray without realizing off food, just like this, straight off the, it was on the counter hanging off. I went like this accidentally. I didn't even know my hand had hit it and everything went flying across the room. Right. And then I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Like my hand-eye coordination is re- was really, really, really good before I got MS. So I never did stuff like that. Yeah. Third day I went into work, I slipped over 
in front of a glass door without realizing oh no and then my manager came up to me and was like go home like something's wrong with you and I was like I had made every excuse in the world to try justify all of my symptoms to be like no Anna you're tired you're a bit dizzy you're underslept you did this you know you're a bit strung out you put your back out like any excuse I could think of I was trying to say it to not accept that there was something really wrong and then I think on the fourth day, I kind of like told my mom like, hey, something's going on and I'm a little bit worried. And then I was seeing one of my friends for coffee. I went to see her new house that she had just moved into and they had like a big staircase going down. I walked around the house with her and she was like, come down the stairs. And I looked at the stairs and I looked at her and I was like, I can't do that. Wow. And okay. she was like, what? And I was just like, no, nah, I can't do it. And I didn't even think about why, but I knew that I was had vertigo, that I yeah. um, didn't have good proprioception. I couldn't feel my feet on the ground. And I was so scared to walk down the stairs that I was like, no, I can't do that. And then that afternoon she dropped me off and I was about to bus back to my parents' house or my house. And I called my mom from the bus stop and I was like, mom, I'm at the bus stop and I literally can't stand up straight. And she was like, what? And I was like, I look wasted. Like people were walking past me, looking at me like, oh my God, is she drunk at like in the middle of the day? And I was like, I'm not drunk. I swear to God. Like, I wish I was drunk now because I'm like, man, that would have... That would have given me a reason yeah. to feel like that. I called my mom. She came and picked me up. And um, she was like, oh, just come to our house for dinner. I went to her house. And then I went to the doctors the next day. The doctors were like, um, it was a Thursday. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, we'll get you in on the Monday for an MRI. Um, oh, wow. Go to the hospital and get a brain scan. And I was like, they said brain scan, not MRI at this point. Get a CT or a brain scan. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. And they're like, just go after the weekend because there's going to be a rush. I was like, sweet as. And then on Friday, the doctor called me and she's like, hey, I've been thinking about you all day. Because when I got to her office, I still at this point was in a lot of denial about my symptoms. Yeah. But I actually had to, when I walked to the office, I had to be held. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I couldn't walk straight at all. And I was going like this, holding the wall mm-hmm. to make sure I was walking in a straight line to her yeah. office. And then I got there. And I sat down and I literally looked at her with one hand over my eye because I had ataxia and she was looking at me and I was like, oh, so, and I said it so casually. I was like, oh, sorry, I'm seeing double. So I need to go like this to see you straight. Didn't think that was weird at this point, which was like ridiculous. Yes. And I, that's why I kept telling her, I was like, I think I'm, I was like, I swear I'm drunk. I haven't drank alcohol in months, but I look like I'm drunk. I feel really wasted right now. And um, she was like really freaked. She was like, oh my God, this is so bad. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you. She called me the next day and was like, I've been thinking about you all night. You've got to go into the hospital right now. And this was on like a Friday evening. Okay. And I was like, oh, are you sure? Like, can I not just wait till like Saturday morning or something? She was like, no, you should go in. That night I was having dinner with my parents. And I don't think I told them that the doctor called me because I still didn't think too much of this. And um, while eating dinner with my family, I was sitting at the head of the table. My stepdad sits at the other end and he kept trying to make, get, make eye contact with me. And I kept looking down at my plate. And then at one point I ate food and all of the food fell out the left side of my face. And I didn't realize I had no idea there was food on me. I had no idea that I was just like, no food was actually going in my mouth. And he just looked at me. Oh, wow. So was your face numb? So yeah, half my face was just like paralyzed. Like the left side of my face was just (gasps) completely paralyzed. And they were like, they, my sister kept trying to look at me because I knew something was up. So I wasn't looking anyone in the eye. I wasn't letting anyone see what I was doing too closely because I thought I did something wrong Mm -hmm. to myself or like, you know, I really yeah. felt like it was a product of like the way I lived or like, and I lived pretty well. I was super fit. I was really into my job. I love my diet and stuff. And I was always been like that. And I was all of those things still put it down to something I did, some not sleeping or something like that. And then, um, yeah, yeah. when he saw me doing that, he was just like, oh my God, Anu, get in the car. 
And I was like, what? Like, I have no idea. And then I looked down and I had like burning hot food, like on my shirt, couldn't feel a thing. And it was like boiling. Wow. It was like a soup or something as well. And um, I was like, oh, okay. I got, got in the car. We went to the hospital. And by the time we got to the hospital, I was literally in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk, like nothing. Like I had, and my body was like this because I was leaning on my left side. And I'd gone like yeah. this the whole time to talk to people because I couldn't see them straight. And if I looked at them like this, I'd see double and it would make me feel nauseous. So that's why I kept yeah. telling people, I'm like, I feel like I'm drunk because seeing double is making me feel like I'm actually like sick right now. Yeah. So I went to the hospital on that like seventh day, actually, of feeling all the symptoms after that. My family was mm -hmm. with me. They put me in like analysis and diagnostics for about three days. I got the brain scan. Obviously, nothing came up in the brain scan. And then they were like, oh, you need to get an MRI. But they said that on my second or third day in hospital. And right. um, by this point, I've been sick for about 10 days. And my family was like, they, they genuinely was like, is she going to die? Like, is, she's degraded. Like, you know, she's debilitating right now. And um, I was only yeah. getting worse. They were like, oh, you're going to have to wait one week to get an MRI and just stay in the ward because they had a lot of people there. They said that there was about every day there was heaps of people going in for like hip replacements and stuff like that. And like yeah. lots of elderly people with really bad injuries, um, people that had like cancer treatments. It's also a very classic Auckland thing to not have any space for an MRI. Oh, <laughs> I feel like Auckland is just constantly needing more MRI machines. Yeah, 100%. They're always putting stuff off like that too. And like my parents were like, you would rather pay for her to be in hospital for seven days than just like speed up her MRI because that's ridiculous. She's taking up a bed for seven days yeah. where she might not have if you just get the MRI. And when my, I think when my parents found out it was going to be a week, my mum and stepdad just paid for a private MRI, yeah. which was super expensive, so expensive. It yeah. was ridiculous. And I didn't have healthcare. It, I didn't have health insurance or anything like that because like, why would I? I've always had really good health. I didn't yeah. need that. So yeah, we went and got the MRI privately and within like the day I got a diagnosis and I had, um, the day before I got my diagnosis, I read the sheet at the, like, you know, the clipboard at the end of my bed. And that was said like ALS, Gillian-Barr syndrome, motor neuron disease, or, and MS was the last thing written on that list. I didn't Google any of them. I didn't want to, I knew some, yeah. I knew a bit about some of them and that was like enough for me to be like, oh, I don't think I want to learn about this right now. Yeah. It's really overwhelming for me. And then yeah, I got diagnosed and then um, I didn't even realize what had hit me. The person that diagnosed me was pretty um, cold and like scientific about it. And I kept asking him, I was like, oh, so I'm all good. And he was like, yes, but, and I was like, but you're saying I'm okay. So I'm not actually like sick or anything. He was just like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're sweet ass kind of. And then when he <laughs> left the room, all of the ladies that had been in my hospital room, broken back and like broken hip. And like one of them was on like a methadone treatment. They were on like going, they were there for some really serious things one by one came to my bed and was like, I'm so sorry you got MS. Like, that's really rough. Like, and at, that was when it hit me that I was like, why did something bad happen to me? Yeah. right. And I was like, I thought I was going to be sweet. I was like, I thought I'd be out of here next week feeling like I did last week. And they were just like, no, like this is, this is like a really big thing. And they were really supportive and really nice to me. They helped, they taught me a lot about MS while I was with them. Um, yeah. And then that was like, that was about the two weeks that I had of getting diagnosed and that was one week before my 18th birthday Oh no, about two weeks before my 18th yeah. on new around new year's on 2015 2016 so I'm assuming it was a neurologist that diagnosed MS while you were in yeah. hospital what was then going to happen next like was there a follow-up appointment where they were going to be like let's explain MS to you no so he was yeah like kind of he was like oh they'll just book you in with the neurologist and he I was like do I get medication or anything and he was like no, because you haven't had two relapses, mm. which at the time I didn't realize was so stupid. And now I do peer support work. I work with people with MS and it 
secondhand pisses me off when they're like, oh, I need to have another relapse. I'm like, you don't, nobody needs to have no. another relapse to prove that they're sick enough to get on medication. Like medication, we've proven in so many studies that medication is the first best line of treatment. So at the time I didn't realize that was such a big deal, but I am really lucky because when they told, told me about medication, the first thing I did was reach out to my auntie in the States, who's a doctor. And she's like, I always get my second opinions off her. Like if my doctors tell me something, I'm like, do you think this is legit? Like, and she'll always like back me up or tell me no. Like she's very upfront. So I called her and I talked to her about my options with medication. Um, and because nobody in New Zealand had talked to me, all I got to see was an OT. Okay. And luckily my mum works with occupational therapists. So I actually got one of her friends instead to come over to my house and I registered them as my um, the hospital OT for me. Yeah. And her name's Shay and she came to my house and she made some changes that were like, she reinforced the railings on the stairs at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. She got my room carpeted for me because she said that that's um, better for my feet because I was having a lot of nerve problems with my feet. Yep. And she got a bench put in in the shower because I would just have showers. I wanted to have a hot shower like all the time, but that was super not possible with MS. So I got changes like that made to my life. They show, they I met with like a social worker, blah, blah, all of this different stuff. But um, yeah, I didn't see a neurologist for quite a while after being diagnosed. And then when I did... I already kind of knew what I wanted to do because I had been told about medication from my family. And by the time I saw the neurologist, I had had two relapses. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So how long is that period of time between being discharged from hospital the first time and then seeing a neuro? Yeah. Uh, Maybe about two months or so. Okay. And in that time you had two more relapses. So three relapses in about three months. Yeah. And I didn't realize that the next ones were relapses because none of them felt like that first major one where I lost all this ability. I, you know, like I was really debilitating. I was really, really sick because they didn't feel like that. I genuinely didn't know I even had a relapse at certain points. Yeah. But I had been told by everyone around me, email the MS nurses, tell them when you have any symptoms because they wanted me to get on a drug. So as soon as anything would come up, things like I would just, I started emailing them one day being, because I told my mom one day um, how I was feeling. And my mom was like, you've lost feeling in your hand for three days and I was like yeah but I was like I just thought this is like the rest of my life my mom was like what the hell you need to tell them and I was just like oh okay emailed them and they were like you literally had a relapse and I had lots of symptoms like this over that few months so I might even have had more than one relapse and they all lasted about a week everything was lasting long for a long period of time which is what confirmed that they were relapses not just an exacerbation of symptoms. After that first one when you were in hospital did everything get better once you were discharged? So they gave me like really high dose of steroids while I was in hospital. And um, I feel like I regained maybe like 90% of my ability because I left the hospital with like definite like uh, loss of feeling in my fingers. Like I was never able to, I played a lot of instruments growing up and I have never been able to play the saxophone again. I can't even like hold one without like nearly dropping it because I have such bad feeling in my fourth and fifth fingers. Mm-hmm. I used to play clarinet when I was growing up as well. My p- I play piano. Um, so my dexterity is really bad now. Like I've got like a little keyboard and I like teach myself from like grade three onwards, but I was like a week out from getting my diploma before I got MS. Yeah. So yeah, like in that way, I have massive effects of it, that one relapse that I can feel like left me with like, you know, stunted ability, but 90% of it came back. I walked out of the hospital. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Okay, when I yeah. came in there in a wheelchair, I walked out by myself unaided, which was like the nicest feeling in the whole world. And so what happens then when you have this appointment with the neurologist and you already know that you want to start treatment? Is treatment offered to you? So yeah, she did offer me treatment straight off the bat. And when I told her about Tecfidera at the time was not a funded treatment in New Zealand. So it was mm-hmm. like quite a while ago. 
but I was going to the States and I went to the States for three months after I got diagnosed. I spent July, the next year of July. So I got diagnosed in December, 2015. And then July, 2016, I went to America until November mm-hmm. and I stayed with my family and I was monitored over there, like really, really, really well, um, which was really good for me. I got to see a neurologist over there. Um, okay. I went and took Tecfidera in America and I also, she sent me bags of Tecfidera to New Zealand. She, my auntie got um, permission from Roche and Genentech yeah. to distribute the drug. So they would send it to her and I would give them patient feedback. And they, she would send it to New Zealand. So I did that for quite a few months before I went to America. And then I went to America and I was also taking the drug with her. Wow. It was a wonderful opportunity. I'm really lucky because when I went in to see Jennifer Pereira, mm-hmm. I was very... Um, Although I was knowledgeable, I still had no idea what it was that I knew. I just knew all this information. I didn't know what it meant to me. And she sat me down and was like, look, it's really good. You have family that are in medicine, but you're the one affected by things. And this is your call. And like, do you want to do this? And um, I had some massive doubts about taking Tecfidera. I'm not, I'm I'm definitely the kind of person that was erring more towards the side of like preventative. I can do this on my own. I don't need to take drugs and stuff, which I've definitely come out of, especially now that I'm studying pharmacology, I realized like, medicine and lifestyle is the best way to go you can't do one or the other yeah so yeah like when I went in there she was really knowledgeable about it and when I told her oh Tecfidera is something that I can get my hands on because I'm JCV positive yeah Tysabri has never been an option for me which was really disappointing because mm-hmm. I wish I could get on Tysabri yeah so yeah when I got Tecfidera I took that for about nine months before I I knew for like a long time that that drug wasn't good for me. I okay. knew that it was definitely making me not my MS worse, but it was making me feel worse day to day. Yeah. Then I got an MRI that kind of confirmed that it's also bad for me. Okay. And it's bad for my health overall. Um, I got like two new lesions. I was gonna say there were more lesions yeah. on that one. Yeah. And some of my other lesions had grown okay. when I was on the drug. And there's there's side effects associated with Tecfidera, such as like you know the hot flushes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's super common. Everyone gets. That. Those are a big one. Oh I've got a friend who started on Tecfidera, yeah. and yeah, the hot flushes. It's like her face is yeah. just bright red about an hour after taking it yeah it makes you itchy and like hot and like burning and like I would like wake up in the middle of the night and if my body temperature went up like the tiniest bit I would have like massive red rashes over me I'd be super itchy the whole time and like it really got to me and I think that was when I first started dating like my boyfriend at the time and like we would you know we were really good friends but like I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would like cry some days because I was so itchy and I'd wake up with scratches on my arms from when I'd been scratching myself in my sleep and I was doing all the right stuff I was taking the aspirin an hour before I was eating like a good meal with carbs and like fruits and like you know doing all the right stuff but I was still getting this and I was getting this six months down the line yeah you're not meant to get those that as much as I did like you it's meant to stop after like three months the intensity of the flushes yeah so I knew that because of stuff like that I was like I don't think this drug is good for me and I kept trying to tell people around me but I wasn't really assertive because I thought everyone else knows better everyone else knows what they're doing right now and I can only imagine perhaps there was like a little bit of guilt there as well because it's like I'm getting this opportunity to get this drug which isn't funded in New Zealand so I should be grateful that this is even happening to me 100% so I always shove down like the the symptoms that happen to me I'm like no these are expected because I talk to people and they would be like oh, there's obviously side effects associated with the drug. Every time someone would say something like to me, I was like, oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm making this, I'm, make, I'm being a hypochondriac, which is something I've never been in my entire life. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm the opposite of a hypochondriac. I don't worry about things a lot of the time, especially when they're really bad. Yeah. Um, so if something's hitting me like, yeah, this isn't good for me, I usually am right about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was like a big 
thing for me that um, when I found my MRI and I was progressing, it made me be really like, I'm right. And I'm the only one affected by my decisions. I often tell the people I work with and like the peer support thing, I'm like, look, like I understand your family might have their like uh, hesitance about your options. But I was like, you're the one that's going to end up in a wheelchair. You're the one that's going to lose a lot of your ability to this disease, not your family. And so this is your call at the end of the day. Take everything with a grain of salt, which is what I learned when I took Tech Federa. Yeah, and I stopped Tech Federa. And then um, I was working at a bar at the time. And I just started studying towards my degree because mm-hmm. I've been studying part-time. So I've kind of stretched it out for a little while. Um, I was working at a bar. I, I worked in hospitality for a long time. And I really enjoyed the energy. And like it was like a big part of my social interaction yeah. and gave, gave me a lot of social skills. But yeah, then I was working at a bar. And I started taking – I took three months off after I stopped Tech Federa. And they said I had to take three months off and I started Jelenia. Okay. That drug was, uh, I think that it didn't make me, my MS as worse as the Tech Federa did, but it made my lifestyle, my quality of life pretty poor because it would lower your heart rate every time you take it. Oh. Same as Tech Federa. I had, I had about eight months of symptoms on Jelenia, whereas you're only meant to get those symptoms for like one month and then right. your heart rate should be normal. Okay. Um, I would be at work, my heart rate would drop and I would get like dizzy, I would get like tired and like there was no time in the day that I could take Jelenia where it didn't affect my quality of life. Yeah, because Jelenia, that's once a day? Is yep, it? Yeah, once a day. But it has to be yep. at exactly the same time every day, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And it, yeah, and like Tech Federa, I was really quite excited to take Jelenia because I was like, oh, no hot flushes. It doesn't have those immediate visible side effects. I'm just going to feel a little bit shitty within myself. Yeah. Not like generally bad overall, which is what Tech Federa did make me feel like a lot of the time. Yeah. So yeah, I took Jelenia for a long time and I kind of just put it down to, oh, it doesn't match with my lifestyle. Maybe I need to not work at a bar. I don't need such a physical job. I made so many excuses about it. And then same thing happened. I got an MRI back and my MRI was not looking great Mm -hmm. and kind of just confirmed things that I had been thinking for a long time. And I think after those two drugs, I was very sure of myself. And like now a lot of the decisions I make, I just tell people what I want. I just tell people, this is how I feel. This is how I want to deal with it. And these are the options I know about because at the time I was very like, oh, I'll just do whatever you think is the right thing to do. I just say things like that to Jennifer a lot of the time. And I could hear her being like, no, Anu, you need to take a say in this because you're the one affected by it. So um, yeah, it was a good learning curve for me. Yeah. So by this stage, you've tried two medications. You Mm -hmm. definitely have a diagnosis of MS and it seems to be progressing because you are getting new lesions. Would you be able to describe to us your definition of MS, multiple sclerosis, and how you would describe it if someone who knew nothing about it came to you and was like, what is this thing that you have? Usually when people ask me, because I get that so often, I'm usually like, how do you feel after you drink a bottle of wine? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because progressively each glass is how I feel when my symptoms get worse. Each glass that you have in that bottle of wine is the kind of ability that I lose with my MS sometimes. Yeah. I think that especially getting diagnosed young, like my defini- my definition of MS is really different. Like I had to reevaluate all of my life goals and what I was going to do. Um, and the gap in communication, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, if I want to do something, my brain telling my body, there's a gap in that communication, mm-hmm. which is why I can't perform things the way that I think about them. Like I want to do things, but the way they come out is not that coordinated sometimes. And do you find that that happens with speech as well and with talking? Is there a gap in that? I have a pretty, I get pretty bad brain fog. Like I just got my Ocrevus infusion like two two weeks ago. And the day, two days before that, I had my exam for my class. 
and it was a really hard exam but I kid you not I spent about 25 hours studying for something that I usually take about two hours to study for yeah things were just going in one year out the other I was just staring at my screen half the time like blankly scrolling and my brain fog is crazy like that's something that's affected me a lot is that I have until I started practicing like actually diligently practicing mindfulness and stuff I genuinely didn't feel like I could articulate myself I'd often get really overwhelmed with the idea of articulating myself yeah and I would just check out of it like instead of talking to people I was just like oh I can't be bothered yeah. I'm just not gonna do it yeah so you like you mentioned you are on Ocrevus now Ocrelizumab yep. talk us through the decision to go on that treatment cool so when I stopped taking Jelenia you have to take a three-month break from the drug before you start a new drug so we took a three-month break, but we knew that I was probably going to progress in that time. And I know that uh, Jennifer wanted to get me onto Tysabri, and she said just per, uh, like uh, what's the word temporarily, yeah, because she was like, you need to take some line of defense. But my JCV index is so high that it was like one in fifty chance of getting PML. Yeah, she was like, okay, legally I would never risk that. Um, if it was one in five hundred, she's like, I would have said go for it to be honest. Yeah, so actually have any treatments for that three months again so I had about six months since my diagnosis of which I wasn't treated on any medication so I'll jump in here and just explain that the JCV is JC virus and if you've got the JC virus it can react with Tysabri or natalizumab which is another type of treatment for MS and because Tysabri is putting a barrier around the brain if you've got the JC virus it can get into the brain Mm -hmm. and therefore cause a brain disease called PML and yeah a 1 in 50 chance of that happening is not ideal. It definitely isn't and like the funniest thing is now it's funny to say this but um we learned about PML in my degree about and it's like plural multifocal leukoencephalopathy and like all of we learned about that and like it was so interesting to me because I was like hey I could have gotten that yeah and everyone in the class was like what and I was like yeah I'm like yeah good to know like crazy (laughs) stuff but um oh so I got off the drug and then at the time Jennifer had written my letter uh, like the letter you see after you see your neurologist and in the letter she said if Ocrevus was funded in New Zealand this should have been Anu's first line of treatment like she was like this is the drug that Anu should have been on and I wish that I could have gotten her on it like essentially that's she was just saying Anu just needs to wait until that comes into the country yeah right so Ocrevus wasn't even no yeah so the only funded options were Tysabri, Jelenia and probably like injectables like Capaxone or something Capaxone and Avonex and stuff like that and um, interferon bait on a and i'm i can't get those like that she was just like your ms is aggressive yeah there's no way that would work for you yeah exactly and when she said that to me that there's treatments in the world that are literally too mild for me i think that kind of stuff like made me resonate like oh my god my ms is serious like i i always thought oh i'm young my ms can't be as serious as someone who's way older than me and i had a lot of guilt and a lot of confrontation thinking about those emotions and um yeah so i just i just remember being like oh okay, I just can't be on a drug. From the get-go, everyone in my family, everyone in my life has been like, get on medication. Medication is the only thing that will help you. And now you're telling me that medication won't help me. I was like so confused at the time. And I told my auntie about it. I opened up to her and she actually talked to Genentech, who supplies the drug in the States and um, got a compassionate consideration. So I sent them all of my medical history, not even, I just sent them two MRI reports. Yeah. And Jennifer's letter saying, I wish Anu could be on Ocrevus. It should, she should be on that. And that was enough for them to say, okay, we'll cover the cost of the drug, which is like 75K or something yeah. ridiculous like that. They're like, just pay for your flights here. And I paid like a $60 fee to rent the chair, that the chemotherapy chair I sat in. It was nothing yeah. compared to what they were doing for me. So from um, 2019, I believe, June, I went to I went to the States then. And um, that was when I was 21. Yeah. 
and I got my first dose of first two half doses of Octavus. I got them usually those first two half doses are two weeks apart. I got them five days apart okay. because I was in a rush to get back to New Zealand. Yeah. I didn't want to be overseas for a long time either. And um, yeah, so I was wiped out after that first infusion. I was absolutely shattered. But um, every MRI I've had since starting Octavus has been completely clear. Yeah. Wow. Really, really good. Ocrevus didn't get funded until tw- end of 2019. Yep. And we helped advocate for that. I went to all of the Pharmac meetings. I wrote them a couple of letters saying like, I am only good right now because I got the chance to take Ocrevus. And if I hadn't, there's a high chance I would have progressed exponentially because yeah. I was, my MS was that aggressive. So I remember, I just remember writing like 10 letters to Pharmac being like, you need to fund this drug. I know people that are on Tysabri that had like a one in 50 chance of getting PML yeah. that were running that risk because they couldn't get Ocrevus. I know people that privately funded Ocrevus because their Tysabri risk was so high. There was hundreds of people around New Zealand that really needed Ocrevus. So yeah. um, it seemed re- like when I would talk to people and tell them I was on Ocrevus, I had a lot of, I was always like, I wish that you had the same opportunity that I did because it's yeah. giving me back the ability to do something with my life. And other people deserve that as well. So how many infusions did you get in in America? Was it just that first, well, the first the No, first dose? I, got my, I got my first two half doses there, and then I got my first full dose there, and I got my second full dose there. Okay. And then I came to, yeah, then it came to New Zealand, and I got my first, yeah, and then I got my first dose here. That was like my third full dose or something like that. Because for people listening that might think, oh, my goodness, you know, you're paying so much money to fly over to the States there and back every six months. Mm-hmm. But that is still cheaper than paying for Ocrevus in this country. Oh, my God. My parents were going to put their house on mortgage. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I had, like, people around me being like, okay, we'll do this. We'll just sell this. We'll do this to get the money. And I was terrified. Yeah. I was 17. Unlike a lot of people that were diagnosed with MS, like 20, 17, whatever age I was, I was super young. I had not established myself. I did not have a secure income. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a secure job. I had nothing behind me. I didn't have a partner to support me, like, you know, financially like that. Like a lot of people do that get diagnosed. And I was just essentially like taking all the money from my parents. And my parents were funding everything. My family was making this happen for me. And it was terrifying for me that to be like, oh, is this going to be the rest of my life where I can't help myself? Where Am I going to be like a child forever? Am I going to be so disabled that I can't even fund my own medication? Because I don't I don't want that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was a very confronting thing to have at such a young age because I felt like I didn't have the agency over it. Yeah. It's really, it's quite intense to see what people would do for you in those situations because I never, ever in my life would expect anyone to do any of that stuff. So when people were offering and people were doing that and my, um, helping me pay for my flights and stuff I was able to take my boyfriend with me to the states yeah. because I just wanted someone there for support and do things like that that my family was literally like no Annie, this is a right if you were in hospital with you know in Auckland you would take a support person yeah. so you deserve to have him there with you but I wouldn't have had to pay thousands to bring him if it was just here so like yeah. a lot of that stuff was it was really difficult but it was really nice for me it was quite grounding to realize like oh I, I would do this too yeah. for another person in my life. You have been such a huge support for me when I started my Ocrevus infusions. Oh. Uh, I remember chatting with you about it and I've wanted to be on Ocrevus for so, so long. Yeah. Like it was definitely my dream for my lifestyle mm-hmm. as well. You don't want that everyday medication. Yeah. And then obviously there was like a whole bunch of brain drama when it got funded. So I wasn't able to go on it straight away. 
But when I eventually did, connecting with you and chatting with you about it was a real help. Yeah. I'm wondering if you have any tips or tricks for someone who might be starting their Ocrevus infusion or if they have any type of infusion yeah. because all infusions are pretty... They're pretty rough. You know, they're pretty rough yeah. <laughs> when you're in the hospital. Do you have any tips or tricks for making that process a little um, bit easier on the day? Yeah, so a big thing for me is that when I first started taking Ocrevus, even in the States, uh, Jennifer told me, Jennifer was like, hey, I've got a patient who's going to start rituximab, which is the sister drug of Ocrevus, but it's used for rheumatoid arthritis, not funded for MS. But she was saying, I'm going to off-brand get her on this because she's Debbie. Um, she was saying Debbie is getting really sick. She needs, you know, she needs a treatment and stuff. And she's got her apprehensions about Ocrevus. She wants to talk to someone on the drug. Debbie and I met up for a coffee. And that was maybe on my fourth year of having MS. And I'm six years in now. And the first time that we met, we had an absolute laugh over a coffee, talking about how we both look so drunk when we do things and how we yeah. must look like we're both like wasted in a cafe at like 11 o'clock. We had this massive laugh about our symptoms and how people around us don't get it. And now when I go in for my infusions, Debbie and I are scheduled in together. We, we go in together yeah. and we hang out and we just have a chat. And sometimes when people I know are getting infusions, I'll just hop into the hospital to see them and just like have a chat yeah. with them, have a yarn. It's been invaluable for me to talk to other people with MS, like go out of my way and meet people with MS. It's made me feel way more secure about my infusions. And in terms yeah. of like physical things you can do, drink water, electrolytes, yeah. bring a <laughs> bottle of like hydrolyte, the medical grade electrolytes with you because you lose a lot of water when you're taking those infusions, especially when you just need to pee all the time, which I do and most people with MS do like 24-7. So um, yeah. <laughs> electrolytes are a big thing for me. Getting lots of rest, not stressing out about it, taking someone with you that you trust is a really big thing. Yeah, and I think that also do research, but talk to get your information from people that have taken the drug. Learn about lived yeah. experiences, but also at the same time, keep reminding yourself this is a snowflake disease. We are all completely unique. Our symptoms will never completely overlap and match each other. Yeah. But the ones that do, we can talk about, we can resonate, we can talk about how you deal with it. Do you use lifestyle interventions? Do you use medication? Like getting insight is the biggest thing with Ocrevus is that I recently got connected with someone who lives in Spain and she had her apprehensions about taking Ocrevus. She came from a background that didn't encourage going into medicine. Yeah. They were more into naturopathy, alternative medication, and I talked to her and I was like, hey, I resonate with you. Like, I'm like that as well. But I was like, like I said before, I was like, this is your life. And other people's decisions or points of view are going to, don't let that affect your health. You take this, yeah. you take this decision. And I talked to her throughout her infusion as well, throughout the pre-medication, which sucks. I hate steroids like yeah. crazy. Um, <laughs> and it was really invaluable for me as well to just talk to her and hear her concerns mm -hmm. and be like, oh, I used to feel like that as well. And I didn't have someone to talk to when I felt like that. I'm really, you know, I can tell her all of the things that I thought um, were really scary at the time, but seem trivial to me now because yeah. I've been taking the drug for years and I have made massive decisions in my head to be like, hey, that's trivial. That doesn't mean much. Think about yeah. the long run. And I think that if I had someone reminding me that all the time from when I started taking Ocrevus, I would have felt really sure of myself from the get go, which I didn't. I was terrified of taking Ocrevus. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's lots of tips and tricks, but I think connecting with people is a really big one. Take initiative and talk to people. Ask people about their experiences and still take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Just know that like you might not align with it, but it will give you insight into it. Absolutely. And you do connect with a lot of people. You are the face of the Auckland oh MS Society. <laughs> I know. I feel like a bit of a poster girl when I'm on, I'm like world famous in the MS community. <laughs> never thought my face would be on anything ever. <laughs> I love that. You 
uh, involved with peer support. Uh, you've been at multiple newly diagnosed meetups for the society. What inspired you to start being so open about this and to help people? Getting diagnosed young, because if I, I talk to people all the time that are twice my age and they can get away with hiding their MS sometimes because they've already established themselves. They're already a whole person. They've got this job behind them. They've got an income. Um, I lost all of that. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the Air Force, be an engineer. I really couldn't do that after I got MS. No. It made me like reevaluate everything. And I realized that every decision I take from now on, my MS is going to be a big part of it. Something that I live by is that I have to make my life more equitable for myself constantly. And I have to be my biggest advocate. Yep. every day so I'm always trying to advocate for myself other people with invisible illnesses constantly trying to learn about other people and um yeah making my life more equitable has been the biggest decision I've taken but it's the thing that's made my life really good I feel like I'm finally I'm succeeding really highly I'm doing things that I really care about to like a standard I am always you know like I'm always accomplishing things I care about in a way that I want to yeah and it didn't happen until I made my life more equitable and I actually accepted my MS because before I was doing that, I was trying to live like someone that didn't have MS yeah. and I would make my life more equal. I would try to match the people around me, but I wouldn't be equitable. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, hey, how do I get to the same place that you got, but in the way that I can do it? Yeah. So I study part time. This is a big thing for me is I hate that sometimes. Sometimes it makes me feel really bad about myself. I'm like, I wish I could take four papers. I wish I could smash this whole degree out. But I can't do that without compromising my grades. I can't do that without compromising my health, my stress levels and just my general, like my general well-being. Yeah. So when I accepted that, I realized, okay, you got to study part-time. And I don't think that since I've started my degree, I've ever gotten a grade that I'm not happy with. That's so cool. What are you studying at university? So I'm studying physiology and pharmacology, but up until last year, I was taking physiology and psychology because I wanted to go into like neuroscience or something like that. So yeah, just biomedicine stuff. <gasps> Amazing. Do yeah. you think that studying that has been a direct correlation to being diagnosed with MS? Definitely. When I went to the States the first time in uh, 2015 or 2016, just after being diagnosed, my whole family works in medicine, engineering, very, very Indian family. Um, and they're all like, they're, I look up to them, you know, but I always told everyone in my life, I was like, I'm never going to be a doctor. I'm never going to study medicine. <laughs> I just want to go do my own job and be really cool and go into arts and stuff. And then while I was there, I read a lot of medical literature. I read a lot of things about um, how medicine is concerned with prolonging your life but they're not concerned with preserving the quality of your life. Right. I learned a lot about geriatrics. I learned a lot about cancer biology while I was there. I read a lot of really, really good books that definitely changed my life because yeah. after that, I felt very compelled to like, um, when I was in high school, I took maths, physics, calculus, uh, classical studies, art history. I never in my life took biology or chemistry yeah. ever. And then one day I was just like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go do it. <gasps> And I, I just went and started doing this degree and I literally never looked back. Oh, um, that's so and I cool. Was, right. And I've got lots of friends that study engineering, law, all of these cool things that I'm also really interested in. But when I started studying this, I genuinely, it was the first time in my life that I felt like, oh, I want to help people heaps. Yeah. Up until then, I had all of my job prospects were just about helping myself, mm -hmm. doing things to better my life and stuff. But this is the first thing that I was like, oh, I can help myself while I'm doing this and help other people. It's, it's completely a direct correlation of having MS because I didn't think, oh, I never thought, oh, Anu, you could be a doctor. I always thought you would be the worst doctor, yeah. Anu. Sometimes <laughs> you lack so much empathy. You say things without thinking. You can be not insightful sometimes. It's made me take a step back and reevaluate things. When I talk to people who also have illnesses, I'm really, I think I ask the right questions. I think that I'm really interested, but also really um, 
compassionate towards them as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's made me learn a lot and it's definitely a direct correlation. You're totally right. <laughs> so it's six years into a diagnosis of MS. How does MS look for you on your day to day? Because I know that if, if, if anyone's listening and they've got MS, their MS could be mm-hmm. completely different to yours, completely yeah. different to mine. What would be the symptoms that you wake up and go, oh yeah, I've got MS? So I wake up some days and I've had really, you know, I've had a lot of things happen to me in the last few months, been quite a sporadic life. Like, you know, I'm trying to keep my routine really strong so that the events that happen to me don't affect what I do every day. Brain fog is a big one. Mm-hmm. I wake up and I get confused some mornings. I'm pretty out of it for a long time. I've always been a morning person my whole life. Like I'm the kind of person who sleeping in for me is sleeping till like 8.30 in the morning. Yeah. I'll wake up early every day. And these days, I'll wake up at 6.30, but up until 9, I'm still like hazy and I don't know what's going on some days. And chronic fatigue is a big one for me, yeah. is waking up and realizing, oh, I'm just as tired as the minute before I went to bed. The minute before I fell asleep is how I feel all day some days on, on my bad days, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's how I describe it to people. I'm like, you know that minute where you're going to close your eyes and drift off? That's how I'm in that limbo the whole day, Yeah. Um. some days. And MS day to day for me, I think a big thing is my hands are very affected by MS. Mm-hmm. I have Yeah, like I can often, if I'm really tired or even if I'm not really tired, just if I'm having a bad day in general, I'll drop things. Um, I grip things really hard. I have to be very mindful of how I use my hands so I don't hurt myself when I'm cooking and things like that. Because I've had a lot of like, I every time I'm in the kitchen, it's like a running joke in every house that I've lived in that I'll cut myself with a knife. (laughs) And um, usually when I'm in the kitchen, I have people around me that are so nice. They're just like, no, let me do it. I'll chop everything up. Some days I'm like, don't. I want my independence. I can do my own thing. And some days I'm like, please, yeah, please, please do this for yeah. me. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it looks different for me in different ways. But I think chronic fatigue is probably the biggest one that affects me day to day. Yeah. How would you manage that then on a day where you wake up extremely f- fatigued? I take it super easy. I've like in the last six years, like the biggest thing I've learned is like being compassionate with myself yeah. is like actually like giving myself a break. I'm so hard on myself. Reducing stress is the biggest goal in my life and I literally tell every person I meet with MS the biggest pattern I've I've noticed um, with all of the clients I've worked with and all of the people that I get to meet day to day newly diagnosed or diagnosed for a long time they're extremely high achieving people they are on the go all the time they are never turn off their work brain they come home at 11 o'clock at night and they're still thinking about work every single person with MS tells me that (laughs) and especially because I'm young something I realized was I don't want to be like that. Yeah. I don't want to do that forever. I think I'm going to love my job and whatever I do. But because I'm also passionate about the field I want to work in, I have to make a really big effort to not let it seep into my personal life. Yeah. I have to keep my hobbies really strong. Yeah, I've had to um, work really hard at you know doing things like yoga. So like I think it's really cool you're a yoga teacher because that's one of my biggest goals now is that in the next two years, I want to go do the yoga teacher training. Yeah, Yeah, so stuff like that, like maintaining my goals, doing a lot of reading. I'll listen... Reading is something that gets hard for me too. You know, if I'm tired, my vision is terrible. My optic neuritis is definitely a thing for me. Yeah. So I um, started listening to audiobooks. I Up until a few years ago, I was like, I love a good book. I need a real book. I'm not going to listen to a book that's fake. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's not like the real experience of getting a book. And now I'm like stuff that I'll listen to 20 audiobooks and it's so much easier than reading the book for me sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, There's lots of little things that you can do like that. I do have to ask because when I think about... Uh, some of the meetings that I've gone to mm-hmm. for the Auckland MS Society, a lot of the time with a lot of people that go to those events, questions will just always come up about the stem cell transplant, mm-hmm. AHSCT. Yep. 
I'm curious, is that something that you have ever considered or would ever consider for the future? Definitely. I know that if, so like, it's something that I definitely think about a lot. Like if Ocrevus was not, doesn't work for me or I progress on Ocrevus, HSCT will be my first line of treatment. Lemtrada is not going to be my first line of treatment because I think that there's a lot of payoffs with that and I don't want to get a thyroid disorder. I don't want to get another autoimmune condition that I have to manage forever. And with stem cell treatments, I know that I probably, uh, I know I'm young. I've had MS for not like, you know, for quite a while now, but um. I don't actually have that long left until I can, I, like, I can only consider HSCT for the next five years or so. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And after that, I'll get to the 10 year mark where it will probably stop being as effective. Yeah. So it's definitely something that's on my mind, but it's something that I would never rush into. And now that Ocrevus is good for me, my yeah. MRIs are clear. I try not to think about it too much, but actually since we had an HSCT talk in Auckland a little while ago and um, Joan Perry and Anne Perry, who are leading the petition to get HSCT as a funded treatment in New Zealand, I'm really interested in trying to do some work with them because I know that I know how it feels to not have the first line of treatment that you should be taking actually available to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of people who HSCT would be extremely good for. And I don't like, I don't know if maybe back then when I was diagnosed, HSCT would have been the best option because Janet, my neurologist was extremely, she wasn't apprehensive about it, but at the time she said, look, there's not enough studies done on this. Yeah. And she said, I think it would work, but I can't recommend a treatment like that to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't actually advocate for it. And like, she was a big push for me and the risks and the payoffs. And now that there's more research and there's more backing and they're actually able to do all the clinical trials, they're able to actually help people in context. You know, like I, I do sometimes think like, oh, maybe if that was an option when I was first diagnosed, I could have done that. But I don't really think so. I'm not too gutted about it. I'm pretty happy. And I'm really keen to start advocating for HSCT to be a, f- a frontline treatment in New Zealand as well, because it's exactly like Ocrevus. Yeah. These are just options you should have as an MS patient. We just deserve all the options that yeah. we can get. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you can get those options elsewhere around the world. Yeah, definitely. And the fact that like, yeah, that's just such a weird, we're in the, um, the OECD, the developed countries list. We're 19th out of 20 yeah. in the amount in the country that does like uh, funding for drugs. Yeah. Like Pharmac is 19th out of 20 for how they function in like making drugs accessible to you. And like, that is just like, what? We're not in a developed country if you're doing that. This is an undeveloped country if you're like not letting people have the best options they should have. Yeah, which I think is definitely a topic for another podcast, isn't it? Holy shit. For sure. <laughs> so if you could go back to Anu, who's 17, who's just arrived in hospital in a wheelchair, just being diagnosed with MS, not sure what's going to happen. Is there anything that you would say to her? I would probably say, take it easy. Yeah. Just take it easy. Take it easy. Because when I first got diagnosed, I thought I had to do all these things and do stuff, just constantly do stuff. And like, I just wish that I could have just taken a step back from my life, not made affirmative action for like a couple of months, not felt rushed into any decisions, not research anything, just take some time to actually reduce stress in my life yeah that's all I would tell myself is just take time to yourself take time to reduce stress reach out to people around you those are things that I didn't do that when I started doing them I benefited from it exponentially and I started thinking why wasn't I doing this the whole time like I should have been reaching out and talking to people that were in the similar position to me because it was invaluable to me and that is like the biggest piece of information I'll tell anyone with MS especially newly diagnosed is talk to people with MS yeah 
make a big effort too because when I started doing that I felt like my MS got better for it yeah not just like oh I'm coping with it better no like I physically felt better because I was talking to people and I totally agree hence why I created that so chronic because yeah. I think it's so important to connect with people and to share patient stories because I think we can mm-hmm. learn so much from that definitely Amazing. and so much more from talking to a medical professional sometimes it's just a it's a different kind of connection and it's um invaluable to me people often tell me things that they say I wouldn't tell my doctor this because my doctor's going to think I'm crazy my doctor's not going to relate to me and then I'm yeah. like you know I'll be like no you should tell your doctor yeah. about this but I'm really really happy that you still have someone that you can talk to and that's me yeah incredible thank you so much Anu for sharing your story with us today and enjoy cool. Queenstown thank you so much for having me Jess Yay. I'm really happy that I could be here that was another episode of That's So Chronic. As always, all of the information we discussed today can be found in the show notes, or you can always send me a message over on Instagram if you have any questions. I'm at That's So Chronic. If you enjoyed this episode and you fancy supporting That's So Chronic even more, make sure you've pressed subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify and leave a glowing five-star review. Just if you want to, of course. That really helps That's So Chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope. But seriously, that five-star review is really helpful.